Welcome to MidwestCon 2023. I'm Rob Richardson, CEO of, Dis of Disrupt Art and also, of course, the host of Disruption Now podcast. Honored to be here with you. Thank you for joining us. We are here at the Digital Futures Building at the University of Cincinnati, taping live for MidwestCon 2023. And with me is Callista Zacharias, who is the CEO of SparkSeeker. And really the goal of SparkSeeker, and I'm gonna summarize it to the best that I can, the goal is to really make sure you have, that we can have intentional engagement using technology and it's through an app that she does that. But she also cares very deeply about the future of technology and how we're intentional about using that for humanity and for good and for transparency. And that's why it's an honor to have Callista on the show. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Calista, welcome. Well, How are thank you? Thank you for having me. You're hired. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm hired, huh? <laughs> That's good. Uh, you know, we try, we try. Oh, thank so. you for having me. No, oh, appreciate having you on. It's when we met, there was an instant connection. I think we were very similar in our pursuits of, of why we're in technology, why we're doing this. But you know, the audience needs to learn it too. So tell me if you can tell me what motivates Calista day in and day out to get up. It's not just about entrepreneurship, but generally. I think I told you a little bit about my my background and history, which I don't know how much we can go into here, but we just go into um, just go with it. I think um, you know I grew up homeless on and off the streets, and uh, I think there was a part of me that always wanted to do good when I could, and I never knew what that opportunity was going to be. Um, and I was looking to really have a shift in my life. I wanted to get out of that rat race, that hamster wheel and create something where I could be more intentional with my time and resources and find a way to give back. And I kind of stumbled upon this issue because I had actually gone to these social platforms looking for connection, looking for community, um, looking for ways that I can join existing organizations and start lending my time and my energy to give back. Right. And um, I saw the disinformation and the hate speech and the systemic divide and the disinformation, the behavior manipulation and all that stuff and it just kind of took it on its own life. And what started out as a frustration eventually became something where it was like, hey, my, my whole passion is about uniting people and bringing the power of people together to do social good. And how about we did that while solving a problem? Right. And so we were able to marry the two. <clears throat> so before I dive, we're gonna talk a lot about SparkSeeker and your vision with technology, but wanna know about what motivates you, because I think the most important ingredient in any organization and startup is, is, is the founder, at least initially, and it's tied to their story, their experience, their why. So I would ask, what is your why? Freedom. Freedom. What does that mean to you? To me, um, freedom means that as human beings, we get to maintain a sense of autonomy over the way we think, over what we get to do and I mean, obviously within legal parameters, but you know, you wanna have that, I think, you know, our ancestors have, these are hard won freedoms we have. Hmm. And I think technology has the ability to really enhance our lives. I don't believe that technology's good or bad. <laughs> I believe right. it to be very neutral. Um, Interesting. But I think its current trajectory um, can do more harm than good. Hmm. And so I think that we are at a pivotal moment and I think um, you know, we need to have more and more of these conversations. We need to really look at what we're building 
where we're going and why we're going there. Yeah. And if it is going to um, make us lose that sense of autonomy, um, I think it's an injustice to all those who came before us who've got, who, who've helped us get to this place of hard-won freedoms. Absolutely. I, uh, there's so much to dive into there. I'm gonna back up a little bit. <clears throat> Why are you so motivated by this? I want to know, you know, the what makes you freedom is important, but it comes from a personal reason or your experience because freedom is relative to the person's experience and time. And so that must it must be something you talked a little bit about you being homeless. If you can just speak to personally why this mission became your passion to help other people. Um, great question. Thanks for asking. Um, I think very early on in life, I understood the pain of disconnection. Mm. I understood the pain of abandonment. And um, I understood how hard it was to navigate this world. Mm. And then as I grew older, I realized how fortunate I had been. Interesting and that I was one of the luckier ones, and that I was not an anomaly, that I was an everyday story. Mm. And it was, it became very personal to me. And I remember being a little girl and thinking like, how does one just walk by a child who's shivering in the cold? How desensitized have we become? How does one not worry that somebody else hasn't had food? I mean, I, one might say I'm naive or that I have a, my mind lives in a utopian world. Right. But it just, it's the basics of our human existence, and I, I couldn't understand that. And, um, and as I realized that I was not this anomaly and that there was a million more like me, billions more like me, um, you know, I, I just wanted to do my part. I was like, you know what, I've, I've been very lucky. I've been, I mean, the same circumstances had they been imposed on my life, and I had been in a third world country or in a country where women don't have rights, I, I, I can't even fathom what the outcome of my life would have been. And so with all my hardships, I am very lucky. Right. And with all of my, all the things I've had to overcome, I've been very privileged. Mm. So just because I was raised here in, right. in, in Canada, in the U.S., and so that's a very different story for someone in India and Absolutely Africa. it is. Absolutely it is. It definitely is. And that's a great perspective to not, my mother says, to not live with the scars, which you've, you've met, as you call her, uh, Mama Richardson. But uh, <laughs> that's one of her sayings, to, you know, and to, not, to not live with your scars. Because mm -hmm. it's, when you go through trauma and you go through uh, hardship, the temptation is to let that, to keep that perspective and never come out of it. And it's very difficult for, for folks to do that. So how are you able to do that? And what message do you give to others when they're going through their own hardships? I'm able to do that because God graced me with two beautiful sons. Mm. Um, I just dropped my youngest off to college yesterday. Congratulations. So I am, I don't like the term empty nester. I'm officially an open nester. Um, but I think that when you ha when you create life, and I think it's this wonderful journey that is, you know, there for both moms and dads, but really very unique to motherhood, um, is that you 
want to leave the world in, in better shape than you found it. You want to make sure that you get, I mean, I think I've always taught my kids until all of us are okay, none of us are okay. Mm. And I think, you know, I, I imagine like, what do I want the world to be like if someday that was my child? Mm. And I think that's really what motivates me. I really want to, no, you can't, you, it's not necessary for one person to go and try to save the world, but it is important that every one of us takes responsibility to some degree and tries. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, you talked about privilege. And when, when folks discuss privilege, it's often discussed from a negative point of view. Uh, but I would ask us to, to look at it from another perspective. Privilege is just something that you have, right? And it's, uh, it, it can be male privilege, it can be white privilege, and people automatically like, get defensive about it. And the first time I understood that was in law school, right, in terms of getting defensive about it, because I went to a, um, a women in the law class, and I think I was the only man. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> right. So it was. Uh, oh, that one for you, Rob. <laughs> yes, but I'm very secure, right? I had two two older sisters, so I grew up strong and a strong mother, right? But um, yes, clearly not. <laughs> but I um, but I remember being in the class, and and there was this conversation about essentially misogyny culture, rape culture, men, and, and, and then I, I felt a little attacked. I, I never had that feeling before. I'm like, well, I feel like, you feel like all men are responsible for this or have some privilege in this? And that was basically what the conversation was about. And I was kind of like, I don't want to really understand that, right? And, um, and somebody just flipped it over very quickly. They said, you know, you know how people talk about racism? It's the same thing. And that, the light bulb went off for me, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I got that. And so when people think about privilege, privilege is not necessarily inherently a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's only bad if you abuse it and you ignore the fact that you have it, mm -hmm. right? It's not and, bad and in itself. It's not bad in itself, and even if, you know, somebody could say, and I've actually been asked this question, you've been homeless, you've gone through abuse, you've got, the, and there's a list, there's a long right. list added to that, things, we won't get into all of those things now. So how can you say you were privileged? simply because even with all those horrific experiences, all those challenges and adversities, I got to experience those adversities in a place like the United States or in a place like Canada. Right. Where a woman can go to a shelter. Yes, absolutely. It's not this, I mean, that's a different level of privilege that most people don't associate as privilege. No, because, you could never. No, because life is, the reason why they don't is the mind is relative, yeah. right? You can only compare it to what you've seen and understood, mm -hmm. which is why on, an, on another podcast we talked about the most beneficial thing one can do is to travel and understand other cultures because mm. that really helps you understand. It'll help you understand a lot. It'll also help you understand privilege. Absolutely. Quite a bit, <laughs> right? You go to so another yeah, country. Was, was life challenging? Absolutely. But would I have liked to have done that life in a third world country? Hell no. Exactly. Yeah, there's levels of challenge, and people are still able to find a way. But let's go to some of the challenges that you're dealing with with your business. And um, Spark Seeker, mm -hmm. what problem are you trying to solve with Spark Seeker? Well, where do we begin now? <laughs> um, we're, we're solving quite a few things, you know, like uh, online engagement hasn't changed much. You know, there might be a new fad or a new filter or a new this or a new that, but the whole like follow. Um, how engagement is metricized, 
how these platforms are monetized, not much has changed right. in a long, long time. And really, that's where, you know, whether you are um, a nonprofit organization who has a global community, a nationwide community, and you're looking to mobilize that community, get that community engaged, or you're an individual, whether you are an influencer or an individual user uh, of these platforms, like how do you measure engagement? What does engagement mean to you? Like, so do likes and follows work anymore? Good question. With deep fakes, fakes, bots, all the explosion of all these things, what do a lot of the metrics that we get from these platforms, what do they really mean to a marketer? Yeah. What do they mean to an organization? What does it mean for actual, if we're looking at like a business to business interaction, or you know, you're catering to a community that has, let's take a hypothetical, say the YMCA. Right. If they've got a huge global community, how are they really engaging their audience? How are they really staying connected? How are we creating um, community and how are we mobilizing that community into action? So that's really what we focus on. Okay, so give that to me because I like to get it in, in where, where as, as uh, Joe Mattis says, where the goats can get it, right? Make it very easy. What would you say if you had to explain that in like less than two sentences? What problem are you solving? We'll save uh, engagement and action. Okay. All right, and what would that look like when the problem is solved with SparkSeeker? It would look like we had a more human connection that was more meaningful and personal. We felt a truer sense of community, and we felt empowered to take action within our communities or around topics that matter to us. Right. How, how would we measure that? Um, you could actually measure that through, we have a lot of, um, we don't do a, a invasive tracking, but we have um, aggregated and anonymized data in terms of- What does that mean? Means that we don't associate things to behavior to Rob Richardson. Okay. We might get some, okay, th there were this many actions taken on this platform. This is the amount of good we were able to do. There are certain basic metrics that we can pull, but it's just not associated to you because the second it becomes associated to you, we're building a profile and now we're look, looking to see how we can manipulate that Yes, profile. exactly. So we're not looking to do that. So we're very mindful about that. So we, we do have a way of metricizing that. And then of course, like with like how the platform is positioned for each organization is a little bit different with the B2B side. Okay. So we actually go in and do a pre-assessment. We look at what their overarching goals are. And then we look to see, first of all, if we're a right fit and the way we metricize the way we can give them the results that, that they're looking for, is it possible? So um, if we do, then you know it's a good fit and we move forward. So you work with organizations essentially that are looking for ways to connect with their communities. How do you, so you work mostly on the B2B side, it sounds like, at this kind of? Mostly, the, the B2B can always add, like a member of the B2B side can always add a B2C account if they want okay. to have a private social experience or private online experience. Um, but really, like one of the use cases might be a university uh, alum group. Okay. Um, they've got you know stuff where they want to get their community in, involved in donations, events. Um, they want them to come back and be part of their yeah. university communities. So that's one of the big bigger things that people are trying to get done. Like one big area of interest for us is there because it's a huge market. Oh, okay. Well, you're at a university, so we have we have some connections. Uh, walk me through what that would look like. Just and then I want to. Then I want to really get into. When you like, say walk me through what that looks like, the visual experience, the so actual let, online experience. So let's just say if you were, let's take the university alumni group. Sure. You were working with them. How would that look if you were just to work with them on a very high level? How would that work with you working with any university, University of Cincinnati? Well, what we do is we don't actually have um, 
a regular plot, uh, like the feature on the, of connection on our platform is all video based. Okay. So it's a video centric app. Okay. So you go in and it's like, let's, the best analogy would be if Clubhouse and Zoom had a baby. Oh, okay. That's what the video engagement is like. Okay. And they can be one-off or reoccurrings, and uh, people can actually search based on their interests and actually find oh, your community. That was good. Unless uh, Clubhouse and uh, Zoom had a baby. Okay. So that's sort of our video engagement, and whether you are um, starting a small business at home and you want to create awareness around that, or you're a bigger organization who wants to, like for example, we've got we know organizations that have one organization that has 176 pages on Facebook. Right. And all of this is for their community engagement. Right. And not one department knows what the other department's doing. They're very, very disconnected. Got it. So, like, to create a lot of these online virtual events, get their, com get their community actually talking. And then we've got something called an actions feature where you can actually get them to take action now. Oh, that's um, awesome. Okay. So, I got it. So, I'm, I'm envisioning kind of how the clubhouse spaces, which turned into Twitter spaces now, and you're in, which there's a huge opportunity now given where that's at, uh, but engaging people, but using video to do so. Yep, and it's a video, it's video rooms and it's video communities. Okay. And so you're building, you're not building your community because someone liked your stuff or someone followed you. You're building your community because you sat down and made time to talk to your community. Got it. You're engaging with your community. They get to ask you questions. They get to be part of the conversation. They want to feel engaged. They want to know that they matter, that their opinion matters, and that they want to feel seen and heard. Yes. And really, how do we build relationships in the world? By connecting. By connecting. By connecting. So we got to dial it back and we got to go back to our roots of connection yeah. and what connection means and looks like. So we're doing things very differently on SparkSeeker. Yeah. Um, and also, like, we know data supports, science supports that if you want someone to take action, they got to do it now. Yes. If you tell them, let's take action a day from now, a week from now. They won't do it. The drop-off rate is very high. Yep. So if you are looking to mobilize a community, whether that be towards a good cause or whether that be towards a company excursion, how do you want them to take action? How do you want them to get involved? And it's, let's do it now. Okay. So thinking of that and just walking through that a little bit, um, you know, a lot of social media platforms use complex algorithms. And a lot of them are using AI. And I want to get into that because obviously you're going to use AI. What is your biggest concern with the current use of AI for social interactions and if you do have concerns, well, I assume you do, how is SparkSeeker or your organization going to go about changing that? Well, there's a, a lot of concerns, everything from, you know, disinformation to the deep fakes with generative AI to um, existential threats and AI elitism. And, this, right. you know, it's, it's, it, there's, there's a whole gamut of things to dis discuss there. Um, I think on a lot of these social platforms, like we don't call ourselves social media, we're actually social community. You get to be social, but we're all about community. We're not about anything to do with typical social media. Uh, so we uh, really try to deviate from so that. So it's social community, that's social media. I think that's such a key point, but uh, go, I'll have more later. Thank you. Um, but we don't, uh, we haven't deployed any AI as of yet. We're building the framework for, for it. So that's what I would say the number one thing that I would want everybody to do really start looking at things from a ethical intelligence place first. Right. You know, you need ethical intelligence models first. Right. You need to understand really what are you building. And I think, you know, in your panel tomorrow, yep. wonderful 
gentleman that's going to be on the panel that sp speaks about explainable AI. Yep. The, that's that's another great topic to get into. But there's, I think, a framework needs to be done. You need to understand what you're going to be doing with this AI. AI, I think, can be used for some amazing things. You know, specifically like disease prevention. Yes. Um, you know, early detection or early, or, or like early evaluation, early findings can actually prevent them from ever actually manifesting. Sure. Or like um, predicting things like um, drought and famine. Um, so there's a lot of great uses for AI, I think, that we can see in the future. And I don't think that it's going to be in AI itself. It's going to be when AI converges with an existing in industry and finds a solution to a problem within that industry. Got it. And I think it's something... Which is true, because technology is just a tool. It doesn't solve... It's not... You've got to figure out what problem you're solving and you're applying the tool to. Exactly. Exactly. So I think, I think there's some great opportunities to explore. I think everything is going to still require that human interaction. I think it needs to. I think the second we remove the human piece out of it, I think that's where we start running into a lot of risks. How concerned are you that that's happening? That oh, it is happening. Yeah. And that's why these conversations are so necessary. I do believe we're at a very pivotal point in time. What's the worst case scenario if we don't, if we don't take the human-centric approach? Militarization um, and, you know, really jobs, uh, job security, um, I think, disparity between countries like uh, right now with AI with the technology the tools that we have you know there are third world countries with the lack of training there's going to be an AI elitism that comes out uh, yeah. and there's going to be a huge divide yeah I mean I've uh, the way I've well, the way I've described it is we can upgrade inequality mm -hmm. right so those who have access to AI uh, and algorithms will have a totally different experience and opportunities than those that don't uh, what else? Well, what is how are we defining what algorithms can do overall? When we talk about AI algorithms, not combining the two together because that's basically what it is. Are we going to have algorithms on land? Because it's all of this. All of this is possible, mm -hmm. right? Because most humans don't own land, right? I'm yeah. sure as you know, like the ent entities own land, and you can argue an algorithm is another entity that can be controlled by a few people. How important is that uh, for us to think about? Like, so how do we get people to think about that, though? Because it's, uh, we talk about this a lot on our podcast. It's very hard to get people to prevent fires, uh, even though it's, it'll save you a lot more money. It's, it's what you'll save lives. But people often only see the fire, <laughs> right? And so like they, it's, it's, people can easily put out fires. For, for right now, people are seeing AI, and they're saying, you know, Calista, I hear you, but let's just figure out a way to move as fast as we can, make as much money as we can. How do we combat that? Especially, in, we know America is great for a lot of things. When it comes to that, generally, we, 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 we make as much money first and figure out what happens on the back end later. How do we how do we how do we change the narrative there? I think that you know what putting the cart before the horse right now. That is that is my genuine opinion on that. I think you know there is going to always be people that say we'll worry about the solution, we'll worry about dealing with the problem later. Let's just make that money. But I think that it's going to be in this particular case a runaway train. Yeah. And it's going to be a lot more undoing that may not even be possible at that point. Yeah. You know, I think right now we are at a point where we need to stop and we need to, we, we have to understand as human beings that we live in a supply and demand world. And if we all want to jump onto a fad, onto the next greatest thing, and we just want to use all the new AI tools out there, it is going to be a runaway train. But we need to, and then we always sit back and say, but the government did this, but the, this company did this, and that person failed. No. 
ultimately the responsibility is with each of us as individuals. Yeah. What do we accept? Yeah. Do we have the time to read through a terms of service? No, no way. But do that. we will complain yeah. that our data is being pillaged, but we agreed to it. Yeah. You know, how much responsibility do we take as individuals? Show up. And by not showing up, you're showing up. So if something doesn't work, don't participate. Yeah, oh, man, you're speaking my language. I tell this when people are in politics. I tell people, you get what you don't vote for, too. Yeah. People complain every minute. And I used to go, because in my former life, I ran for office. And some of the people that complain the most, you go back and look like, hmm, you haven't voted in 10 years. You got a lot of complaints <laughs> about what's happening. It's the same thing, right? We have to be active citizens in I guess, and what's happening. We're not building. Nobody's out there spending billions, millions of dollars building models that no one wants to use. They are in it to make money. Yeah, but that's the trick, though, right? So I want to challenge that side of what you're saying. I don't disagree. But when all the social media apps started, right, Mm -hmm. I think people believed that they were getting on to connect with their family. And I think that was the genuine, genuine interest that you could connect with people that you didn't know, that you didn't see. And it did start that way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but to your point, because and I love what you said, that your social community versus social media, because my definition of media is that, you know, especially with news, generally, I'd say, you know, media is to the, uh, to the brain what sugar is to the body. Mm. You get it an instant hit, but then it really kind of takes you down because the goal is just to get you emotional reaction. If you think about it, most of the time, the amount of information we get in news doesn't help us. Yeah. <laughs> it just really makes us either depressed or angry or emotional <laughs> in some way. That's really what it does, right? That's why we keep hearing about when there's a, there, there could be a, a crime that happened in a certain area. There could not have been a crime for 10 years, right? But then they'll talk about a crime that happened because people, uh, over and over and over again, because people are interested, they'll draw them in but it doesn't necessarily really solve the problem. I'm making the point that that's what social media does. The goal is to click, but it's mm. not to connect. Well, I'll, How are you I'll challenge that? a little bit of what the first back. piece of that, because um, I don't agree that, you know, I think people were very misinformed okay. when they first went on social, because did ever any of these social platforms, did they ever charge you money for it? No, it, So how didn't. did we think, how did we ever believe that a company that gave us something for free was worth billions of dollars. Well, I agree with you there. And I, I tell people, if you're not the, if it's free, you're not the consumer, you're the product. You are the product. So I think but that- But do you think people knew that genuinely though? I think that people chose to not know that. That's true, Ch- I agree. Because at the end of the day, they were getting something for free. Yes. And you know what? I think we'll, we'll face that every single time you've given somebody something for free and then now you turn around and say, I'm gonna charge you for it why I got it for free. Right. And then, you know, I mean, they don't connect the issue. It's such a great point. I mean, it's, I have a lot of points on this. I mean, and I, I agree with a lot of it. This is my nuanced mind. The challenge is people definitely, I think you're right, right? They, they got a free product and they were fine with it. And then, and, and I think it got people used to in a bad way getting things for free. Correct. And expecting things are free. Oh, content is free. Creators is free. Music is free. We don't like, none of this matters. And then the only people that end up getting some uh, money are the platforms that have advertising on there. And that's it, right? Um, so it did create other problems in terms of how we thought about things. Because we shouldn't think about things that there is value to what we're getting, mm-hmm. but, we're giving, but we're literally not paying for it. But 
I would say the other side of it is I don't know if it was full informed consent in that. Agreed. In that, I don't think people predicted. And I actually don't think even Facebook and others predicted how the algorithms would affect people in terms of how our politics are going, in terms of how people are dividing in a way. And well, I think many of those platforms, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I apologize, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. But I think you I know when you, you when you start tracking through third-party services, minute-by-minute behavior of every single person on your platforms, whether you're a company or an organization using it social, sure. or you're an individual, it doesn't matter, because companies are just as much at risk. Oh, of course. Um, of course. And so if you, when you start tracking everybody, and then in order to achieve a certain result, you're going to deploy behavior manipulation tactics to create deeper engagement, longer engagement to result in a certain outcome, whether that be a disinformation or whether that be a purchase or whether that, you know, through ad sales and things like that, whatever it might be, there's a surveillance economy and then there's behavior manipulation to get certain things to happen. So it's not just the ad revenue. This is like the smallest of problems. I mean, I think as we go into this conversation of AI, all this data that's been collected on who we are. Once we switch into a digital currency and we switch into AI and we switch into all of these things that are going to be connected, how is the data that they that all these organizations have on us, how is that going to be leveraged against us? Mm. Where do we qualify for what? Wow. What kind of jobs are going to be linked to our data? Wow. What kind of credit scoring are we going to be up for? Yep. What kind of medical resources do we, will we have access what to? Kind of, what type of criminal justice system will we have? What how kind of we... travel permissions will we have? Oh, wow. So how AI is going to, with AI, with the evolution and explosion of AI, and with all this data that's being collected about us, especially companies and individuals, really need to start thinking about where, what kind of platforms am I going to use? Mm. Is it worth it for me to get something for free when my data is being pillaged, basically? And how will that data be leveraged against me Mm. with AI? That's great. At its current trajectory. So that's where I want everybody to start thinking. And that's why I think Spark Speaker is very necessary. There you go. Pop your collar. Do that. Do that. That was great. No, it's and getting people to make to understand that issue is everything, right? And that's what that's why we started Dis, uh, disruption now. That's why we were doing this conference at MidwestCon. People have to understand, and it's up to us to advocate uh, the problem. Like I think it's people did sign away a lot of their. So people signed away a lot of their rights and didn't realize it. Uh, but now they can go back and reclaim them, right? And we have to figure out what are we going to do. With all this, with all this information that's been collected, like we have, uh, I forgot what all the stats are in terms of the amount of data collected. It changes every year, but I think it's we've already repeated more collected in multiple times in our history in the last right. few years. We have a lot of this information, uh, but a lot of it has been collected in a way that has reinforced the same biases that we've had forever, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, if we if we're not intentional about how we're um, using artificial intelligence, it's gonna really, uh, we don't understand the consequences and we oughta at least come from a mindset of, let's make sure we understand what's happening, not like turn a blind eye, make as much money as we can and figure it out after the fact. but I think those, I think really, like ethically speaking, like I, I think you really need to sit back and look at why are we building these models that we're building, or what's going into building these models, how are we training these languages. How do we get people to, to hear us? Like we're, you, you and I are, we're, we're obviously preaching to the converted, mm-hmm. right? How do we get people who don't, who just, 
you know, want to go and, and watch the algorithm on that Netflix takes them down or whatever or social media? How do we get the attention of, of, the, of, of greater communities? Or how do we get the attention of corporations and others to make them understand that this is in their interest right now versus them just saying, don't worry about it? Because that's what concerns me. Like, I agree with you. I think you, you know that. But what concerns me is that how, how likely are, are we to get the attention of enough people to actually get them to be intentional? I think that whenever new technology or new things come out, it's all nice and new and shiny. It's like right. that new car. And you know, we can sit there and talk about, oh, it's got this feature and it's got these bells and those whistles, that we can glamorize something very quickly. And I think that's really what happened with AI. It's, I agree. It came into the market, it was like, whoosh, yep. there's your Bentley. Um, and how about blockchain recently too, but we're, 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 <laughs> we're, we're like the side children now, so no one likes us anymore. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, I think you, you can play the short game or you can play the long game. Some yeah. of it comes down to ethics. Yeah. Your ethics as a human being and your ethics as an organization. Yes, we all want to make money. And you know, in an ideal world, we all want to make lots of money. Yeah. But there is more than one way to do that. Yeah, you can make money and still have ethics. You can think about, okay, like, you know, I, I get why companies want LLMs and I get why, why you know, AI is so appealing. I see the virtues of AI. I, in many ways, there are many aspects of AI that I am very excited about. Sure. Um, but you know, we can take a minute to say why are we building what we're building, what's vital, like what is the outcome, and start really looking at it from an ethics. I think ethical intelligence is very important. It would be great if every company could deploy an ethical intelligence community. Yeah. Or, uh, ethical uh, intelligence, uh, what do you mean by that? Really looking at the core principles of what ethics is and saying, hey, listen, this is our business. This is the problem our business solves. And as we are coming up, what is the next feature? What is the next advancement? What is the next thing we want to focus on? And how is what we're building going to support that outcome, that solution? And what, what is it that we need to collect in order to be able to, how is it that we need to train these models? Where are those biases? How can those biases, those conscious, unconscious biases impact people? Like, what are the long-term, I think though that that's ethical intelligence needs yeah. to be something that is, the, is a preface to AI. Yes. You know, before artificial intelligence, we need ethical intelligence. Uh, that's great. And I think that's one of the things I really speak about because I think we're entering the AI renaissance. Yes. You know, we had many different periods. This is the era of the AI, AI renaissance. So we are all artists and we're all creators. And what are we really creating in this period? Amen. You know, and I think these are all the conversations we need to have. So really so much alike, emotional uh, intelligence is going to be... Every company, go out there and put together an emotional intelligence board. <laughs> it's, uh, you said we're all creators, you're right. Uh, something that I said a few years ago, so I feel like I was predicting the future a little bit. I said we're, all of us are creators and all of us are media companies mm -hmm. too, right? And so we have the ability to uh, change the narrative, that mm -hmm. can change the conversation, that can change uh, the perspective, that can then solve problems that people didn't think of. And I think right. that's, that, that's why it's so wonderful, the work that you're doing with Spark Seeker. And I think, you know, when we think about the opportunity, it's changing those perspectives, right? So I'm gonna give you a few uh, rapid fire questions at the end. Uh, tell me, you got Spark Seeker, what does success look like? I don't define success anymore. You don't define success anymore, okay. So I learned something, okay. I'll tell you this. 
I think there's a duality. One thing I've learned to life, and this is my two cents of wisdom for whatever it's worth. Okay. Um, there's a duality to everything in life. Okay. Nothing is black or white or like all good or all bad. There's a duality to everything. Okay. And I think the there was a time that you know I had to put a roof over my head and I had to. I'm thankfully in a place where I'm okay. Like you know I get to create Spark Seeker, and so for me. If I chase success, the duality of that is failure that's waiting for me okay. around the corner. So I'm in a space of creation. Okay, you're in a space of creation. I love that. I love that answer. Uh, but I'm going to challenge you, Sam. You're on disruption. This is what we do. What does legacy look like for Callista? What does it look like for Spark Seeker? Oof, legacy. Now, there's a word really closely attached to success. But still, enough of a difference that I can go down there. I know, yeah. Um, I like it. Um, what legacy does legacy not, look yeah. like? Legacy is how you define it. I'm sorry. Legacy, I, don't, I don't want to answer you before you go. We probably think very much alike, so it's okay. You'd probably be right. Um, legacy to me looks like um, someone through our work feels empowered to build differently to think differently, uh, to stand up for humanity's autonomy. And um, and I think we're all just here to walk each other home, says, you know, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna play a part in that. And so I hope the work we do and the way I've lived inspires that. All right. What is the uncomfortable truth that you have that most people would disagree with you on? An uncomfortable truth? Or let's say this, what's a truth you have that most people would disagree with you on? I don't know about most people, but I know that there's a huge Just say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, it can just be like most people. Like it's something that... I might, think yeah, go ahead. in order for us to ever change a woman's journey in this world, we need to start at home with our boys. And our boys are some of the most um, lost people that really need more support and more guidance and more love. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think there would be people that a lot of people that would disagree with you, too, because there's a lot of uh, people fight back on that. But it's very difficult. I can tell you that as a as a man, and as a boy, to, to feel like there's a place you could be that you can't be vulnerable. Right. That's a very hard thing for a man and a boy. And I haven't come close to mastering it either. But I know that's difficult. That's for sure. I mean, I, I raised two boys and I can say that, you know, I, I raised them to be kind to women. I raised them to be fair. I taught them what showing up looks like for equally. And you know, I, I did all those things that as a, ma- as a woman, it mattered to me. And I, didn't, I wanted to change that in the world. But I think with the world, the way it's changing as rapidly as it's changing, even though it, maybe it's going in the right direction, that, it's all perspective. It's who you speak to. Um, but I know that there's a lot more support right now in this moment in time for women to navigate these waters than there are for young boys who are feeling extremely lost. A, and I, they do not know how to be, and they certainly don't know what manhood looks like that's so true. in this world. And until, if we want our journey to change, and I'm ready for our journey to change, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think our, our boys need to be Oh supported. my gosh, you've, you've, you've walked down a line. There's just so many things I'd like to address on that. Is, because I do think that's one of the threats that get ignored. And you see, there's a reason why a lot of young boys are attracted to the people like the Andrew, Andrew, Andrew Tates and those folks, right? They speak to them. 
Well, mental health is, right. they is speak on the rise. The suicide is on right. the rise. It is, but they're speaking to something that they're feeling empty on. Mm -hmm. And rather than just saying all these men are jerks, lost, like you ask the, another question, why are they feeling that way? And how can we figure out how to address that? I think that's, we just, we just agree. All right, uh, final two questions. One, we'll just, just do them quickly. What's your, what's your theme in life? What's your theme at the end of the day, if you had to say the theme for you, what would that be? What would that say? And why? A theme. A theme, a saying. Mine is define yourself for yourself by yourself. A theme. Um, I would say the series of your choices becomes the sum of your life, so choose well. Mm. That's good. All right, final question. You got a committee of three. Your advisors for life, business, spirituality, whatever you want. Tell me who these three people are and why. Who your three people are? Yeah, your three advisors. My three advisors. Um, my mom. Okay. Um, and I won't say my sister, a sister. Okay. World, could be a worldly sister. Okay. And a brother. All right. But you're not going to name anybody. It can be whatever capacity. It could be personal, it could be professional. But, you know, I do believe, well, <laughs> the people who are close to my life, they may not be born with me, but they're my brothers and sisters. Oh. We live that way, and some of them are the top CEOs. Some of them are surgeons. Some of them are in politics. And some of them are moms. And, you know, they're all powerhouses in their own right, and I think depends on what it is. But if you have one of each of those, you've got an army by your side, and there's not much you can't take on. All right, Callista, it was such a pleasure having you on. <laughs> so, uh, again, it was great having all of you on. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're at MidwestCon 2023. I'm Rob Richardson, CEO of Disrupt Art. We are taping here live at the Digital Futures Building. Uh, be sure to uh, check out more of our episodes at Disruption Now Podcast. We have plenty of great conversations, just like this one with Callista Zacharias. And this will be a great, this will be a great content. So save it. Um, also, you're going to learn more about her company. You can look, you can look more in the comments and uh, in, in the, in the description to learn more about her. Uh, also, you can learn more about Disrupt Art and what we're doing to really change the future of events, change the future of engagement, and, and make sure that we're empowering creators all across the world. But as always, we thank you for everything you do and keep disrupting. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you.